Welcome to the Ministry Podcast. It is such a privilege that you would tune in. All of my content is designed to bring hope to the dreamers and doers that Jesus offers us a better way to life and Jesus offers us a better way to lead. I hope you enjoy today's episode. The title of today's message, if you remember last week we were talking to the ladies and so ladies, man, y'all can just take a breath today. And uh, get your elbows ready. Uh, please don't. And uh, what we're going to look at, though, if we remember last week, we talked about let's go forwards with these four words. We're going to redeem these words. Well, today, <laughs> I just had to do it. Let's go towards two words. No, towards two words. Towards two words. I think when it gets to four, I think that's too much of a list for us men. So let's go with two. And I think uh, if we look at this passage, Ephesians chapter 5, I think there's clearly two words that God has called us men to strive for, especially in this context, the husbands. Have you guys watched the news lately? Uh, we're in trouble. Amen? Um, amen. Yeah, that's the only amen. That's the biggest amen I've ever gotten. No. Um, man, I, I'm usually not one into, into things like the news, but this, you know, 2020, it's an election year, and I just can't help but keep checking. And... I heard a pastor say one time, if he thought being a politician is truly what would change the world, he would change vocations. But he says, as a pastor, he really believes this is how you change the world, is through the Word of God, amen, and through his church. Of course, politics play a position, but it's not the major one. In many ways, what we believe here, it is the family that determines the trajectory of society. Where a lot of us are freaking out about society and where is it headed, Well, let me tell you, where is the family? Where the family goes is where society goes. I want to take that one step further and really talk to the men today because I truly believe where the men are is where the family goes. So at its core, if you get the men, you get the family. If the men run away, the family falters. And so it's very common for people to say, why can't men just step up to the plate? And I would argue... Uh, Looking at the gentlemen here in our congregation today, there is a lot of men following the way of Jesus, becoming these men who are taking care of their children, taking care of their their grandparents and their parents. And we're so grateful we have a church full of men. But at the same time, we all can use some work. Amen. And so this is what we're looking at. Um, The reality is empires never seem to last and it's all the man's fault. What, what happens is men rise up against oppression, but eventually they become the oppressor. Men, they finally learn to become weak and vulnerable, but then they forget how to be strong. It's on us men. There's a quote. I don't know if this guy's a Christian, so forgive me, but I think it's a really good quote. It says, hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times. Michael Hopf. Another, this one is an anonymous quote. I think it's really good. It's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. This message is about men being men. And I want to make sure we know this is specifically about husbands. And we've talked about last week it was specifically about the wife. And so, you know, as a wife, you don't just submit to everyone. We do actually everyone submits to everyone. That's according to verse 21. But there is a specific submission uh, that, that the wife only reserves for the husband. So if you're a man, you, you, you're not ordering women around. Amen. This is not the context of that. And so I want us to look at today when we talk about order and authority and being strong men. There is if you are not married, I think this still applies to you as a man. 
because it really does talk about what it is like to be a man of God. But there are some applications here that will only be for marriage. You with me? I really believe here Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. I think he's writing to a bunch of gardeners in a war. These are men who aren't being men, and that's why we learned last week the women started hunting themselves. They started initiating the divorce themselves because the men weren't taking the step forward, so the ladies would do it for them. It actually says in the history books what men would do in Ephesus during this time and in the whole Roman Empire. They spent their days pursuing prostitutes for pleasure, concubines for cohabitation, and wives for just raising their kids. They did whatever they want, whenever they wanted to, and they did not know the art of restraining their flesh. What we have here in verses 22 to 33, Paul is painting a picture of a man that many have never seen. What I love about verses 22 and 33, as we're going through it this morning, it is a man who is a warrior and a gardener. It's a man who is strong and weak. It's a man who is a fighter and a lover. It's a man who is tough and tender. And so us as men, I want us to go towards two words. And these two words are woundable and responsible. Woundable and responsible. And my desire today is to first show you what a man looks like when they have neither. And what a man looks like when they only have one of these words. And then also how Jesus perfectly shows what a man should look like in being both woundable and and responsible. You guys with me? Let's pray and let's begin. Father God, we're so grateful for your mercy. We're so grateful for your grace. I pray for the men here. I know it's kind of popular to yell at men and try to get them to get pumped. And God, we're not going to do that today. Uh, Holy Spirit, I want something that lasts beyond the parking lot. And so God, I pray, Lord, for genuine transformation to occur in the men. And I pray for the, the ladies in the room who are married God, may they see that this whole thing about submission and respect, it gets a whole lot easier when us men step up. And so, God, I just pray for all of our marriages and those who are not married. I pray that everybody would encourage today, and I pray that the ladies would help encourage our men as we seek to be men that only can, can be men through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen. 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 There was a husband and a wife. They were married for about 15 years, and they finally admitted that they needed help. They realize they haven't had many conversations with each other. And if they did, it would be a fight. And it really hit them when the wife said, I think we have fallen out of love. And so they decided to go to a counselor. And so they sought one out, got the money together. At their first meeting, immediately the man went and sat in his seat and just started slouching his eyes on the ground and just hoping for this to end. The lady, the wife, was so excited to be there. And so the counselor said, hey, gentlemen, uh, hey, man, would, would you like to share your side of the story? He says, I'm fine. And she said, I'll share mine. And so she goes on for about 15 minutes straight, not really taking much of a breath and talking about the first day they met and how it has progressed since then, the ups and downs, the valleys and the mountains. And eventually the counselor got up, went over to the wife, had her stand up, gave her a bouquet of flowers and kissed her on the forehead. This, of course, grabs the man's attention. So he looks at the counselor, and the counselor looked at him and said, this is is what she needs. Twice a week, she needs a bouquet and a kiss on the forehead. The man finally has some resolve and says, okay, I can bring her over every Tuesday and Thursday. (laughs) Towards two words, woundable and responsible. 
The first man ever, like this man at the counseling session, didn't either. Open your Bibles. Actually, I don't have it on the screen. I forgot to do that. But Genesis chapter 2. I think it's really helpful for us to always go back to the creation account. Because it's helpful to know this is how God designed it. Did you know marriage was God's idea? So it actually can be a beautiful, beautiful thing. And when we look before chapter 3, we actually start to see what marriage was intended to be. In verse 15 of chapter 2, The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. Notice, men, we are called to work even before sin and sin came into the picture. Uh, Verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on that day you will eat from it, you will certainly die. Notice, most people don't pick up on this, God gives this command to Adam. He doesn't give this command explicitly to Eve. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it goes on, it says, The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, this tree that was warned against, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Notice how Adam was with her the entire time. We look at this picture and we think it's just the serpent and Eve, but Adam is in the background. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. We have to understand a couple things. The serpent is usurping God's order. God created it where you want to talk to the family, you talk to the man. You talk to Adam. Instead, he goes around God's designed order and says, I'm going to talk to the woman. I'm going to talk to Eve. But what we don't realize is Adam was the one who was given the command and it was Adam's job to tell Eve, hey, this is how we're living and we're not going to eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We also have to recognize Adam was with her the entire time. So what today's message is about woundable and responsible. Number one, Adam wasn't willing to get wounded to protect Eve. He saw the serpent and instead of having the first step forward, his first step was back and hoping that Eve would just win this battle. This is not what God designed men to do. God designed men to step up to the plate and be willing to get hurt by the serpent in order to protect his wife. So he's not much of a man already. And also, if you continue to read, Adam, when God walks in the garden and says, where are you? What happened? And what does he say? This woman you gave me done messed this whole thing up. This is not a man because he's not taking responsibility. He loves to play the blame game. I encourage you to come tonight at the marriage workshop. It's at 6 o'clock. We're talking a lot about that as men. We're supposed to take the blame. And we're going to go further into that. But we're also going to be looking at this today. So I want us to know right away, Adam, the first man ever, done messed everything up. Okay? And the reality is, is you would mess it up as well. And so would I. Okay, we're all in this. So what does a man look like that has zero woundability? not willing to step up and get hurt for the sake of his wife. And what does a man look like with zero responsibility? Playing the blame game. Well, it's on your notes. Again, we have the notes online or on the bulletin. Um, It's a man with no woundability and no responsibility is a person who is away, who is cold, who is distant, and who is careless. Some of you may have met men like this, and please don't point them out if they're in the room, okay? God will do that. He'll work on that person. But we have this person who's away, who doesn't really care about the things. It's crazy, girls. Like us men, we can so compartmentalize and just turn our brain off and not care and be careless. And Adam here is cold. He doesn't care about his wife. He's distant. He is allowing Eve to take all these battles herself. 
And, and this is the reality that we're in. Now, here's what we have to make sure that I say right away. In many ways, this message about what is a man, what is a biblical man of God, and I read a, an, uh, an article yesterday that was talking about how us as Americans, um, just living in this century, I think we, we've made some things as manly when it really doesn't matter. Because I don't know about you, but I have met men, what I want to call boys, who have a diesel truck, but yet they're away cold, distant, and careless. But the world, because he has a diesel truck and he hunts on the weekends, we call him a man. That is not a man. That's a boy. A boy is the one who goes away, who doesn't care about his wife, who doesn't put her needs above his own. And again, I don't want this to be a, we're yelling at each other, come on men, step up, but we have to be realistic. Some of us have a really bad definition of what a man looks like. I would argue, I think it's weird, but I would argue that I would take the man who plays Nintendo, is that still a thing? I don't know, (laughs) shows you how much I do this, but actually cares for his wife, is not away, not cold, not distant, not careless. Versus the one who has the diesel truck, even though I'm just jealous. Okay, so we have to redefine what manhood looks like. And we have to define that men for our children. This is what a man truly looks like. Now, let's look again at verse 25. Um, And we're going to talk about how how man is called to be woundable. What does that even mean? Verse, Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Okay, jump down to verse 28. It says, in the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. And so, right away, we see the biggest command for man, for the husband, is to love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and, look, gave himself for her, so sacrificed himself for her. So, what we want, every man in this room wants this command to be, hey, Husbands, eros, your wife. Have a romantic love towards your wife, right? God doesn't need to command that. That's, that's already there, especially in the beginning, okay? One pastor, Adrian Rogers, one of my favorite, he always said the difference between eros love and agape love, which is the, what he used here, is uh, eros love is really lust. And he said, lust wants to get, but love wants to give. And that... That's the main difference. And again, I can't wait to get old and to start talking that way. But, but lust wants to get while love wants to give. See, again, most of us men don't need this command to get, but we need the command to give. Paul used here agape love, God's love. And, the, and actually what I love here, this love, um, it's agapeo, actually, which means a verb. So it's God's love in action. And he's saying, men, love your wives in action. It's a choice. It's a decision. It's not an emotion. It's something you do even when you don't feel like it. It's sacrificial and it's selfless. Uh, read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. It, this is all agape love. What Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. And go through all this list. This is what love is. And so with that list, he's saying do that with your wife. In other words, this kind of love costs you. This kind of love actually hurts because patience is not fun. Love is, I I can't believe God decided for love, the first descriptor is patient. It's like already we're failing this test, right? Love is patient. And many times for us as men, I don't know about you, but I I like to think that um, I'm more business-minded, and and it's really hard. This kind of love, uh, it's this term called ROI, return of investment. It's really hard to see an agape love. How is that a great return of investment? 
A lot of times when you agape love somebody, you don't see the results right away. I want you to write this down. A wonderful husband is a woundable husband. A wonderful husband is a woundable husband. I think that's the love that Paul is referencing here, which is really funny, by the way. I think it's hilarious because I, for the longest, I didn't want to preach on marriage because like, I was only married for so long. And it hit me this week. Paul is writing about marriage. He was never married. Isn't that funny? But it's the Holy Spirit who spoke through him. So, okay, whatever. I, uh, I'll give you that, Paul. But I just felt good about that. It's like, Paul, I got seven years on you at least. Okay. Um, <laughs> Anyways, so a wonderful husband is a woundable husband. What do I mean by that? Because we have to hurry. Why do I say woundable? A word I was going to start out with in the beginning was vulnerable. But I think for vulnerable, I think we've actually misinterpreted that word. And a lot of us love to use vulnerability to manipulate people. You know, like when you're starting to date somebody and they're just like, oh, he's just so vulnerable. Like he's sensitive. Like I love, and you're like, yeah, I'm just so sensitive. And it like, you know, it's a very manipulative thing. Like I'm just a sensitive guy. And they're like, oh, we love that guy. Right. And so uh, vulnerable kind of like, uh, okay. But, but woundable means like, you put your neck out there for somebody and it's up to them to do whatever they want with it. You, you can be hurt by it. C.S. Lewis has that quote about a vulnerable love. To love is to be vulnerable. It's to put yourself out there, right? It's to get hurt. That's why I don't like having dogs because I know they die fast and it's like, oh, I don't want this, right? I don't watch dog movies. That new dog movie just came out with Harrison Ford. I know Harrison Ford. He'll shoot the dog, right? So I'm not going to watch that. He's a pretty heartless guy in real life. Okay, but a woundable love, get this, why is it woundable? Because it does not require a response. It's so tempting. Every time I love my wife, I want to demand her to love me back. Like we got in a fight just the other day because I rubbed her back for like 10 hours. Okay, it's probably like five minutes. 10 hours. And then she's like, thanks. I moved on. I'm like, whoa, my back now, you know? You thought I did that to love you? Uh-uh. I needed a back rub, so I'm going to rub your back, right? A woundable love does not require a response. And here's the thing. I get men all the time are saying, well, how do I love my wife? She's not lovable. That's not... <laughs> yeah, he said it and he... I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but it's like, she won't love me back. I can't keep loving her. That's what's crazy about this command. Love your wife even when she doesn't love you back. That's what we're called to do. And as the head, as men, we're called to lead. We're not called to wait till our wife submits until, and then we'll love. It doesn't go that way. Men, when we love, there's a much greater chance they submit. But women don't use that as an excuse either, okay? But here's the thing about woundability. It, this kind of love gives attention without ever wanting to get attention. This kind of, that's, that's woundable, that means I may love you, and I'm going to put myself out there and share all my feelings, but she might just walk away. Hosea, have you ever heard the, read the book Hosea? This is a perfect example. He marries a prostitute, and she continues to run away, run away. But Hosea constantly offers his love. And you know what that's a picture of? God's love for you and God's love for me. He loves us even while we don't love him back. Christ died for us while we were still Sinners, while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. Men, this is a really, really hard call. But let me just add this warning though. Husbands, you aren't wonderful if you're only woundable. That's why responsibility is going to be really important. So if you're a husband that it's just woundable, you're like that sad puppy all the time, right? 
which is so sensitive. What, what kind of picture of, of this man would look like? Let, this is the next, next thing on your notes. And this kind of man who's only woundable but not responsible is an anxious husband, is a cautious, overly cautious, is dependent and a coward. God has not called us as men to be anxious, cautious, dependent, or cowardice. But when we're just woundable, this is what we turn into. Man, I need to hurry. There's so much more I have to share. So I've decided to give a quick practice. We love the practices of Jesus here. So the things Jesus did on earth, and I think that helps us form our lives. Here's two practices. I want you to write these down for men. If this is something you struggle with, with woundability, you struggle just being vulnerable and putting yourself out there, here's two practices that will help you. Number one, the practice of silence. This is both being silent with God, but also being silent with your wife, but not in like that manipulative way. It means you're listening, right? And so when they're talking, you are listening, but you're not talking over her. Okay, so practice the, the, uh, the, the meditation of silence, the practice of silence. And so with God, here's the thing. Men, we like ourselves. We go in front of the mirror, we're like, boom, killing it today. And the ladies are like, I just can't look. I just, not today, right? And men were like, yeah, I'm feeling great, you know? I can kind of see my toes today. Yeah, you know, that's just who we are. But, but silence, we need silence in our lives to get a realistic picture of who we are. When we spend time alone with God and we're not just talking, 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 God brings reality checks in our life. We need that to recognize we need to be woundable. Blaise Pascal, he has this really good quote. He says, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. I think that's really good. Um, because we're too insecure for that. The next one is secrecy. Now, this could be taken very badly. Don't do secret things. Okay, that's how affairs start. Now, what I mean by this, though, is you do things. Th- this is a practice you can do within the whole church, right? The, the practice of secrecy, giving with your left hand without telling your right hand what it's doing. It's blessing somebody as an anonymous letter. Like, hey, I'm going to anonymously give this person a gift. Whenever we're at restaurants, people pay for us. I'm like, thank you, God, and thank you, whoever did that. You're awesome. And what I love to do is tell the way hey, tell that person water's on me. You know what I'm saying? I got you. Go give them water in my name. You know what I'm saying? That's terrible. But the practice of secrecy, what does that mean? You're doing, you're blessing your wife without letting her know and parading, I did something so great for you. Just bless her. Don't make a big deal. Give her something and not expect her to parade how amazing you are. I have to move. Okay, so husbands are to be woundable, but if we're only woundable, that's not wonderful. We're too vulnerable and we're too weak. Husbands are also to be responsible. Verse 23, because the husband is the head, underline that word head, of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, he is the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself and underline this word, splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. This word head here is actually referring to authority, but a lot of us misinterpret it. We think the head means that we are the judge and the jury. It's actually the opposite. Being the head means you are the one accountable to the judge and the jury. Just as a pastor, it says in scriptures, I have double honor, which sounds cool, but it also means I get double judgment. I am not only accountable for my life, but as the office of pastor, I'm accountable for your life. I have to talk about you when I first meet God, okay? So be nice to me, you know what I'm saying? 
So I honestly, I, I have to pray for you daily because I want to make sure when I come to the throne that, that I did as much as I could, okay? And, and so anyways, um, that's what the man is called to do with his wife. Uh, you are accountable. You are held responsible for your wife. What are we responsible for? No wrinkles or no spots is what it says, right? So again, like we said last week, buy all the skincare. Do whatever you need. No. What it means is to be presented in splendor. Again, this is a feminine word for glorious, wonderful. Okay? We're supposed to present her in splendor. And of course, this is referencing to what's happening spiritually and I would argue emotionally. To present them as this mature, beautiful image of what Christ really looks like in her life. And I'm not going to lie, in reading this for so long, I assumed you get married as a man. I have a vision and I find a wife to help me, push me towards fulfilling that vision. And reading this, I've had to spend some time repenting and realize, of course, God has a vision for my life for sure. But I think actually a greater calling is to find and solidify the vision God has for my wife's life and for me to do everything possible to push her and help her and guide her and encourage her to fulfill the vision God has given her life. I wasn't raised that way. I thought the wife was here for me. Read this scripture, I'm here for my wife. One of the greatest compliments I got earlier this week on on Instagram, they said, I can tell you're finally growing. I'm like, appreciate that. You're finally growing, Lord, because I'm really seeing your wife blossom and that means a lot. (laughs) Thanks, you know, I don't know how to take that. And uh, that's so true. There's no greater joy than to see my wife really blossom in the gifts that God has given her. And even just this week, my wife, she didn't know I was preaching on this. Well, I guess you did because we talked about wives last week, but whatever. She was like, I, I need to talk to you. And I was waiting all day. I didn't want to interrupt you. She's so nice. So, you know, it's bedtime talks. So we're just staring at the ceiling. I'm exhausted, but I'm just sitting in there practicing silence, but not sleep. Amen. So listening. And uh, she was just talking about, Man, I want to do this, like with my fitness stuff, but I really, like, I just can't get out of my Bible in the morning. So I'm not working out anymore, at, like in the mornings as I was and all this stuff. And so it was just so fun to like hear how God is processing the vision in her life. And she was wanting my advice. And, and I love this about, about ladies is you guys, you don't compartmentalize at all. Like everything has to all make sense together. And I'm like, do this from 7 to 10 a.m. You're done. Now at 11, you're doing, they don't get that. And I think it's such a blessing because the family is such better. Because like, I don't know, I just so compartmentalize everything. It's like that. Who cares? I did that an hour ago. This isn't, that's not who I was anymore. You know, and so anyways, um, so so helpful. And I, I really did find this genuine joy just rooting her on and giving her some tips and, and trying to pray with her and help her. I think that this is what us as men were called to do. But the world doesn't say that. The world says, find a girl that satisfies you and get a diesel truck. And man, you are the man, especially if you get a shotgun, right? Which is kind of true. Let's go. I'm just kidding. No. Um. I want you to write this down. What does it mean to be a responsible husband? A responsible husband takes the blame for her splinters and gives her credit for her splendor. It's my job to take the blame. Men, we need to take the blame more often. One of my favorite, several moments in my life, I know we're going to talk about parenting in the, uh, this next month, but my favorite moments for my dad is when he said, Trey, just blame me. I hated baseball, 
and it was before it started. It was during tryout week. It was like, you're going to be a pitcher. It's going to be great. And I didn't like it. I was just sick of it. And so, Dad, I want to quit. He said, don't worry. Blame it on me. I'll go down there and say it's my fault. It was one of my favorite moments with my dad. Thank you, Dad. I, I'm a loser. I hate sports. And I'm like, yeah, that's right, son. You know, all this stuff. Um, great moment. But, but honestly, like we've even been talking about with our kids, we don't believe in sleepovers. There's way too many stories of things that go wrong there. And so we just won't do that. And I'm going to tell them it's my fault. Uh, you can blame me, hate me. It's on me. I'll take the blame for that. When it comes to your wife, is there some sort of situation she's in at her workplace? She doesn't have to fight those certain battles. Sometimes the man steps up to the plate. I will be the jerk. I will be the bad cop here, but I will take care of you. They don't have to see me every day like they have to see you. Blame me. We need to take responsibility. When she messes up, that was my fault. Babe, I should have supported you more. I didn't help you this way. That's on me. She does something incredible. Babe, you are awesome. Look at you. Look at you, right? Oh, you do, you boo. You know, like, just root her on. This is our job as men. But this is something popular, especially in our area. We like to be responsible, but yet not woundable. We like to say everything's on me. I'm the leader of the house. But you're not willing to get hurt. You're not vulnerable. You're not exposing your weaknesses as much as you're exposing your strengths. What does that kind of man look like? Here's the next list. Abusive, controlling, dominant, and clueless. Does this describe your life? When you're not willing to be woundable, but you want to be responsible. These are great, but you need both at the same time. And I didn't notice, <laughs> I didn't notice this till yesterday. I just had this rhythm of like A's. Okay, these are all A's. These are all C's. And I was like, ACDC? This is a men's sermon right here. So this is like, you know, TNT, the next one. I don't know. It's terrible. Like, man, I need to get a real job. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> Abusive, controlling, dominant, clueless, ACDC, dynamite, okay? And so um, these are wrong. This isn't a woman who trusts submitting to you. She is terrified. But there's another thing that we can do. Here's one more practice. Here's two more practices that will help if you want to be a man that's both respondable. What is that? Uh, I had a joke there, but I won't. Woundable and responsible. Number one is giving. Now, again, I want us to apply this both with the Lord and with our spouse. And so giving your resources for others flourishing, that is what a man looks like. That's why it's the man's job to say, you know what? Us as a family, we're going to be giving to the local church because we believe not in just our own flourishing, but we believe in the ministry, what we're doing here. And so we can't do it without finances. So God, thank you for this. We're going to give. But not only that, give to your wife. And we're looking at this tonight in the workshop. There's so many different ways you can give your time, talent, and treasure. My wife doesn't really always love, like, flowers. She says they die. Why do that? Diamonds are better than flowers, was my mom always taught me growing up, right? So, so giving financially to your wife, just giving her a spa day is huge. Amen. You know, right? And, um, but giving her your time and listening, all sorts of things, and serving. Again, a real man serves the church. We find our skill sets and we serve any way we can, but a real man serves the family. Take ownership. Say, you know what, wife? I'm going to serve you. This isn't a problem to solve. This is a person to serve. I can go on and on, but I'm going to assume you'll, you'll connect those dots of what that looks like. But for centuries, cultures have emphasized one or the other. Real men are responsible. Or real men are woundable. Real men are woundable and responsible. We're called to be both at the same time. 
What does that man look like? He is aware. He knows the needs of his wife. He is calm. He doesn't take his warrior spirit and just dominate. He allows the wife to speak her, her side. He is decisive. After talking it through, at the end of the day, I will take the blame. This is the direction our family is going. And he is courageous, willing to go the way God, the narrow way God has called us to, even though all of society says, no, go, go the wide way. No, we're going the narrow way. And I don't care what other people say. This is what God's direction is for our life. See, this kind of person is both a warrior and a gardener. We are called men to be tough and tender. Right? We are called to be strong and weak. And I want us to see how Jesus is that ultimate man. See, we have the first hand. Uh, Romans 5 talks about how Adam is the first man. And, and he's none of these things. He's not woundable or responsible. But you have the second man in Jesus Christ. And he is woundable and he's responsible. But I don't want this message to be... Jesus is your example. Do what Jesus did. It's true. He's a great example, but he's more than that. See in the text, actually verse, um, verse uh, the preceding 18 through 33, when you recognize the whole thing, is actually saying you are being filled by the Spirit. It is the Spirit that enables you to be this kind of man. Well, how do you have access to the Spirit? Because Jesus died and rose again. He gave us access to the Holy Spirit. It is the gospel. If you don't believe in Jesus, all of you will always fail. You will lead one way or the other or do none of it. You will become woundable, but people will take you over. You'll be responsible, but you're just a jerk. Can I say that in church? Or you're just none of it. You're just away, cold, and distant. This is a high calling for us to be a warrior and a gardener. But it's in Christ. He is the one. We don't have to suffer this duality. Are we either or? Jesus was fully God and fully man. Jesus was the one that was full of grace and full of truth. Jesus was the one that was fully tough and fully tender. I'm pretty sure he was a warrior and a gardener, right? He had all these things at the same time. And the good news we have is that we have a wonderful Savior because he came down to become a woundable Savior. I love this about Jesus. Jesus went to the cross to take our sin, shame, guilt, and death. What I love about Jesus when he was on the cross, he was dying for us while we were still his enemies. What I love about Jesus on the cross, he is so woundable, is that he's actually using this love not to get attention. Like, look how awesome I am. I'm on the cross. I'm dying for you. No, what does he say? He goes to John and says, hey, John, take care of my mom. Like, he's like dying. Like, he can barely breathe. And he, the few words he has, he says, can you take care of my mama? Every man takes care of his mama. Amen. Take care of Mary for me. This woundable Savior, he's being, he's being hurt because of their sin, and yet he's still caring, giving attention to them. And the beautiful thing is this wonderful Savior, the reason he was on the cross is because he was taking responsibility. On the cross, this God-man takes the blame and receives the splinters of the cross, says that's on me, so that he can give us the credit of our righteousness and be presented in splendor. 
He was the responsible. He says, no, 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 I'll take responsibility for all your sin, and I will give you credit for all my righteousness. This is the God-man who did that. And we are called not to example after that, which we are. As men, we are called to be like Jesus, being woundable and responsible. But the only way that is even possible is if you and I receive Jesus and say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. This life is impossible without you. You are such a good Savior who loved me and died for me and rose again in power. And you are still tough and tender, grace and truth and Holy Spirit. I'm asking you to come into my life to receive and surrender to you. And friends, that's the beauty of us becoming men of God. The only way that's possible is if we have Jesus working this life within us. And that can't happen without receiving him. And that can't happen without us every day saying, God, okay, I need you, God. God, I need you to be this man today. I can't do this without you. I lean this way or lean that way. God, help me be both at the same time. And my prayer is that we as a church, through the power of the Holy Spirit, are able to be both woundable and responsible.